0: Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say
1: That's the great Carsey Blanton, ladies and gentlemen, the acoustic version of her song Smoke Alarm, which she performed just for me, just for this special podcast. You're listening to the first uh, episode of Talking Out My Ass with Dr. Christopher Ryan. Yes, welcome. Uh, This is a work in progress, uh, as you'll soon see. I've got um, different ideas for how this is going to play out. The backstory, as most of you'll know, but for those of you who don't, the backstory is that uh, I sometimes tell stories about when I was traveling, things that have happened in my life. And I get emails from people saying, dude, I wish you should tell more of those stories, whatever, but I don't want to be interrupting the people I have on my podcast, tangentially speaking. Uh, I sometimes do. And uh, people sometimes say, dude, let your guests talk more. You're, you know, blah, blah, blah. I hear you. So the idea is to switch that stuff over to here, to this uh, separate podcast. People who want to hear those stories can can come here and, and check them out. I'm trying to monetize it. Uh, it's 99 cents an episode. Uh, if you want to subscribe, it's 20 bucks, and that'll be at least the first year. I don't know if I'll have more stories to tell after the first year, but, um, you know, it's probably going to end up being a lifetime subscription we'll see uh if enough people sign up then i'll probably just uh you know that'll be it i won't uh i won't make you pay again next year but we'll see we'll see i don't know it depends how poor i am next year really desperation is the the best motivator so that what's going to happen here is there're going to be no sponsors you're going to pay 99 cents or get a subscription and you'll just hear me telling these stories. I won't do long intros. I won't talk about whatever's happening in current events. You know, any of that stuff that I do on the normal, on the tangentially speaking podcast, this is just going to be me talking to you. Um, Okay. Now some parameters to this thing. I am not going to lie. These, the reason I'm telling these stories Is And the reason I've resisted telling these stories, honestly, on a podcast is ego. Uh, I know how easy it is to come across like an asshole. You know, I've been everywhere. I did this. Oh, man, this happened to me. Blah, blah, blah. That's not my intention here. Honestly... I'm doing this for two reasons. Well, maybe three reasons. Uh one is so many people over the years have said to me, Chris, you got to write these things down. You got to, you know, you got to record these, preserve them somehow. Um not because I'm such a great storyteller, not because I'm such an interesting guy, but because the world has I don't know how to say this, but it seems to me that the world has opened up in a way and shown me things that showed me things that, that I've been very, very fortunate to see. I've had experiences that are honestly kind of mind blowing. Uh, they blew my mind. And and sometimes when I tell the stories, they blow other people's minds. So there's a responsibility to the experience itself. Uh, and a corollary to that, that that also ties into the ego thing is that if you're going to respect these stories, you're going to respect these experiences and, and the gifts that the universe has bestowed, you don't bullshit about it. You don't lie. You don't make shit up. You don't exaggerate because that undercuts the whole fucking purpose of this. Right. If if I'm going to lie, then why bother? Uh Cause then I'm doing it. Then it's about ego. Then it's about performing for you. It's about getting admiration or whatever. That isn't what this is. All right. This is, um, something I'm doing out of respect for my friends and family and people I've never met that have sent me emails saying, uh, oh, you know, what would you say? I get a lot of emails from young guys asking me what to do. How Should I marry this woman? Should I leave her? Should I go to college? Should I go to grad school? Should I quit this job? Should I go travel? What do you think? And I never really know what to say, but I understand why they're asking me because they, they have some respect for the experiences that I've had um, mainly by dropping everything into traveling around the world for 15, 20 years, whatever it was. And I, I have respect for that as well. And I don't consider that to be, uh, you know, me, I, I, I see it as something that exists outside me. And so that's what this is. This is trying to be respectful to those experiences and to, to what I learned along the way and to share it with people who want it, people who don't want it, people who listen to tangentially speaking and say, Oh fuck, I'm tired of listening to that guy talk about himself. Well, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't sign up for this because that'll just really ruin your fucking day. Um, Okay. So here's my vow to you. No lies, no bullshit in these stories. I'm about to tell you, except a couple of exceptions. One unintentional confusion. I'm 52 years old right now. A lot of these things happened to me. Believe it or not, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, And I'm aware, having uh, done a fair bit of research in psychology, of how the brain tends to smooth corners and add a little color here and there, completely unintentionally. Now, what I'm telling you is, to the best of my recollection, exactly what happened. In many of these situations, there are witnesses. So there are people I'm still friends with who were there at the time. And they'll know if if I'm full of shit. So... Um, and, and there's something else I learned, uh, just from being on Joe Rogan's podcast, actually more than anything is when a lot of people listen to something, um, you get funny reactions. I told a story about, uh, my Kung Fu teacher and, and this is a guy, I, you know, he killed, it's, it's a story. I won't tell it here probably, but he told, um, he killed his father, um, when I was 15, this was the guy who was teaching me Kung Fu. I was 15. That was 1977, uh, a long time ago. And, uh, within a couple of days, I started getting emails from people who remembered the case. I even got an email from a guy who was an assistant district attorney who prosecuted the case. These are people who knew every detail. So if I had been bullshitting, there would have been a lot of people who knew it. Um, so Uh, there's a certain amount of respect for your audience that uh, you've got to have when you do something like this. Um, Because if I, if I lay out some, some bullshit on you, people are going to know. So anyway, um, but there is unintentional confusion. So, you know, right from the start, I just want to say I'm human. If I fuck something up, if I get the dates wrong, whatever uh, my apologies. Secondly, protect the innocent. I'm not going to use full names. Um, Probably even when they're when I'm only saying wonderful things about people, just because it it's privacy and and people don't necessarily who knows what their thing is you know maybe they were some guy I met in Indonesia who was a wonderful guy had you know lied to his wife and said he was um you know in uh, at a, a conference in, in Mississippi or something you know I don't I could fuck people up uh, unintentionally by using their names so I'm not going to use full names um and uh i'm also i reserve the right to fudge some things if it's protecting myself legally in some ways because some of the stuff that um that i've done over the years could certainly be considered illegal and i need to be careful about that so um yeah i mean it's hearsay i know you can talk about using drugs and, you know, whatever things you did in your crazy youth without getting in trouble. But there's some things where I might mix it up a little bit just to to make sure that uh, that everybody's protected. So the idea of these is I'm going to tell stories about my own experience. I might read some piece of poetry that I really love. I might rant about music, books, whatever. The idea is to sort of teach a seminar about what I've learned by not becoming a professor. As you'll hear two or three stories down the line, episodes down the line. I was on track to go to Oxford. I was going to get a PhD. I was all set up, everything. I was going to be a tenured literature professor by the time I was 30 and that all went off the rails somewhere between New York and Alaska. <clears throat> and um, I'll tell you all about that down the way a little bit. But my life took a very different path. And so the idea is to try to, uh, to distill some of what I've learned over the years by not going to grad school when I was 22 and instead setting off to float around the world and see what happened to me. Because um, a lot did happen. So it's sort of a platonic ideal um, of an educational system, minus the ass-fucking, of course. Um, This is going to be completely uncensored, uh, largely spontaneous, beholden to no one, and that includes you, right? So if... This is something where I, I'm just going to lay it out, and so if you dig it, I hope you'll continue to come back and you'll tell your friends about it. If you don't dig it, then you know, don't. That's cool. This is uh, completely voluntary. Nobody's obligated to be here except me. And the last thing I want to say in way of introduction is um, go to my site, chrisryanphd.com. And you'll see uh, in the store, I guess, is where you're going to have to download these things because they're digital. Um, It's like a digital project uh, product that I'm going to put in the store. Um, But I will also have a page for comments. So I would love to have comments. I'd love to have questions. Really happy to make this interactive. Um, we'll figure out maybe there's a way to set up a forum or something. I'm not really sure how all that kind of stuff works, but if this thing gets rolling along, then uh, people will come out of the woodwork and help us set up a forum and do it'll expand and, and grow organically. So that's what I'm, I'm hoping happens. All right, I think that's all the introduction we need <clears throat> today. I'm going to tell a story. Um, oh another thing about structure these are going to be largely chronological so I'm going to start right now telling uh, telling you about my uh, sort of the end of my high school uh, career and then it'll be a little bit about college and then Alaska and then we'll be off um I'm not going to talk about childhood you know I, I might go back and talk a little bit about some crazy shit that happened previously to what I'm starting today. But generally the idea is to, to be uh, relatively chronological. Uh, there will be a flow from one episode to the next. Some of the same characters, same people I met along the way uh, will, will appear in different episodes and there might be some jumping around um, thematically. So, for example, if, um, you know, if I'm talking about uh, you know, when I almost died in Alaska, well, I might talk also about when I almost died in India and then I almost died here and I almost died there. I mean, there's a, there's a link between those experiences. But um, in general, I'll try to keep it uh, pretty chronological so it's easy to follow along. All right, I think that's it. So I'm going to take a break, get some tea, and then I'll, uh, I'll tell the story about high school. I was born in 1962 which means I uh was late to the party uh the party of the 60s. Uh I was old enough to see that people were having a really good time and uh I remember staying at my aunt's place um in Pennsylvania and they had this uh, stream of interesting characters who would come by and you know I was maybe 8 years old so it's 1970 you know, a lot was going on. There was good music. There were interesting hippie people, you know, made their own leather belts. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, I could just feel the the sexuality in the air, the, the happiness, the freedom, the hope um, that Hunter S. Thompson describes as a wave cresting on the Rocky Mountains about that time but i was a kid um so i could i could hear the party happening but i wasn't really invited so i think that may explain the rest of my life <laughs> in some ways uh but anyway one thing that it it definitely did with me was um I, it made me very interested in sexuality now i don't know if i was you know just a typically horny a teenage boy or if i was beyond the typical range of horniness, but I was definitely very horny. But I was also uh, very shy uh, about that and um, not particularly good looking. Uh, I'll put up a prom picture from around the time I'm talking about right now on the website um, so you can get a sense of what I'm talking about. I had braces, I had zits, I was skinny, I had bright red hair, Um, you know, I was not uh, a particularly good looking 15 year old. And so I hooked up with this girl and we, we, we went out, I was going to say we were together. We went out, um, for, I think it was about two years. She was a year older than me. And, uh, so she went to college, um, when I was still in high school and, Essentially, what happened was she, you know, nature took its course. She went to college and left me and I was heartbroken. And when I say heartbroken, I mean, I was wearing sunglasses 24 hours a day for months. I didn't give a shit about anything. This was the time I was supposed to be Um, writing up applications to colleges and, you know, thinking about my future and all I could think was that my future would be bereft of love, that I would never find love again, love. Now, here's the thing. Am I really talking about love? No, I'm talking about sex. I'm talking about you're 15, 16 years old. Here's a girl who fucks you. You think that's love? Um, I don't want to sound judgmental, but I think a lot of men go through their entire lives never really making the distinction, never understanding the distinction between someone who is willing to fuck you and someone who loves you, which is why so many guys fall in love with hookers, right? I mean, it even gets confused in a massage, a typical massage. You know, we we lose the distinction between someone who's touching us with some sort of care, and that feels like sex or love or, you know, all these things get merged together in the male mind. I think this is because we live in such an impoverished society when it comes to sexuality and uh, and physical affection that anything that is even vaguely similar gets thrown into that category because we're so desperate for it. Like someone eating, you know, a plastic steak just because it looks like food. Anyway, I uh, I was with this this woman, this girl. She went away to college. I was bereft. I was heartbroken. And yeah, I, I did pathetic things like calling her mother and trying to convince her mother that she should convince her daughter to come back with me. And it was terrible. And I remember my father taking me for a ride in the car, which was uh, sort of the family tradition. When when you had to have a serious talk, you'd go for a ride in the car, which is interesting because it, you know, it um, removes the possibility of sustained eye contact. <laughs> I'm not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but anyway, my dad took me for a ride in the car and I can remember him saying to me, look, the one thing you can never, ever lose let yourself surrender is self-respect and of course that is the one thing i had surrendered i was completely without any self-respect i was so desperate and and you know this is the curse of youth right that you think everything is forever every happiness is an eternal happiness so it's also the blessing of youth and Every disappointment is an eternal disappointment and, uh, and all pain will be eternal because you haven't experienced the sequence. You haven't experienced the beginnings and the ends and the beginnings and the ends and the beginnings and the ends. so that next time there's a beginning, you know, the end is right around the corner for better or worse. Uh, so, I had that first love, and um, I thought that was the only love. I thought uh, I would never find another. And so I was pathetic and ridiculous. And uh, at the time, my parents had moved to another town. I was, it's kind of, I won't go into all the details, but my family moved a lot when I was a kid, and I had gone to school. My freshman year in high school in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, north of Pittsburgh. Then we moved to Connecticut, Fairfield, Connecticut, and I went there for a couple of years. And then uh, in the summer before my last year in high school, my parents, um, my dad got a job in upstate New York, about a five hour drive from where I lived in Connecticut. And they moved up there, and the deal was that I was going to stay in Connecticut, live with a, a friend and his family. So that I could finish high school with all my friends that I had people I'd become friends with in Connecticut. So that was the plan. And um, but I was so uh, sort of devastated and humiliated and and it was just silly, ridiculous. And so about halfway through my I think it was at Christmas break of my senior year, I decided to leave Connecticut and go to this little town in upstate New York called Casanova where my family was living and, uh, finish high school up there. So I'd, I'd have like three months, uh, of school in this new school. And, um, I didn't give a shit. You know, I was already accepted into this college Hobart college where I ended up going. I didn't, I don't think I even got around to filling out the applications for most of the cool schools that I was thinking of going to. I s- sort of had a long shot at getting into some Ivy league schools Um, Cornell was the only one I really took a swing at. And that got fucked up because when I went in for the interview, there was this, the person who was supposed to interview me, it was this super hot smoking, like Amerasian mixed race woman, probably 27 years old. And I just couldn't talk. (laughs) I I just couldn't talk, you know? So there should be some ethical prohibition on sending super hot twenty seven year old women into interview eighteen year old aspiring cornell students, but that's that's neither here nor there um, so I move up to this this new town, casadovia, and the problem was that the school I'd been going to in Connecticut was a very competitive Uh, Big student body, I think probably in all four years together, there were probably 2000 students in the school, maybe 1500, something like that. A lot of students, Um, a lot of teachers with PhDs, very, very smart kids, everybody doing AP classes, getting college credits, you know, lots of kids going on to Ivy League schools and all that. So then I move up to this. yeah, in Connecticut I was sort of like at the bottom of the top. I was not any standout genius by any estimation, but I hung out with that crowd and, you know, could hold my own with, with that crowd. And um and uh so I get up to this little school in Casanova which I think there are probably, you know, fifty people in my class or something like that. Everybody'd known each other their entire lives and um and i they put me in the the top level classes they had but they didn't have ap classes there so i was either a year or two years ahead of what they were doing in that school so it was kind of weird cuz they put me in like a physics class i would already done physics they put me in um you know in in literature it didn't matter as much cuz there were different books and so who cares but you know, the the science and the mathematics and that. I'd already done that stuff. I'd already taken the test. I already had the AP credits on my curriculum. So there was really no need for me to even be sitting in these classes. Plus I was new. I didn't know anybody. I, I you know, had senioritis, but uh, you know, much more than, than even most seniors do because like I didn't even give a shit about this school at all. I was just there doing time, really. So things got kind of weird because uh, I remember like the first week I was there, I was in this physics class uh, taught by a guy named Doc something, Doc something or other. And this was the kind of guy who always had egg on his tie and his fly was down and he was just uh, a mess. And, you know, I look back on this now and think he was probably, you know, maybe he was closeted gay. Maybe he was an alcoholic and, you know, drug problems. I don't know. I have no idea, but he wasn't happy. And, so here's this physics teacher. He's teaching physics. And I was reading at the time um, Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. I was going through sort of a morose Russian literature <laughs> phase. <laughs> on top of my uh, romantic <laughs> rejection, I decided I would focus on Russian literature. And uh, so I was reading uh, Crime and Punishment. And this guy was talking and you know, doing his physics. And he decided to get into a power trip with me. And he said, um, Mr. Ryan, please pay attention. And I looked up and I said, uh, look, you know, I've already done this class. I've already got the credits for it. I'll take the test, but you know, I'm just reading. I'm not bothering anybody. And I look back down at my, my book and now of course, all these students who don't know me from Adam are like, Whoa, what the fuck is going on with this new kid? So Doc walks back, takes the book out of my hands, walks back up to the front of the room, slams it on his desk, and turns his back and starts writing on the board some formula or whatever he was doing. So I got up, I walked to the front of the room, picked up my book, walked back to my desk, sat down, and started pretending to read. Obviously, I was too nervous to actually read, but I was staring at the pages of the book <clears throat> and the next thing I heard was the sound of Doc um, breaking into tears and running, crying from the room. So, uh, welcome to casanova That was my introduction to the school. A few minutes later, one of the uh, assistant principals came to get me. Um, at, I, I should mention that a little, maybe a month or so, or a few weeks before I arrived in casanova the principal had quit and um, now the school was being run by the two assistant principals. Uh, One was the academic principal and the other was the disciplinary principal. They had a, like a Gestapo unit of the school. And so this guy came and got me and, you know, it, it was a big scene and he tried to actually, I think he grabbed me by the ear and I, Having studied martial arts, one thing I'll never forget is how to take someone's, you know, hand off your body very easily in a way they can't resist. So I just pulled his, peeled his hand right off, and like sort of had a him and a, a bit of a, a joint lock, and and so it, it was a mess. And um, so he takes me down to the office, and they decide that they're going to put me in uh, in school suspension, <clears throat> um, which lasted for a while. Uh, and I should say that the students that I met at the school, I think probably to some extent, because of my confrontation with doc there on the first day, I, uh, people were very welcoming <laughs> and, and I uh, made some friends. Uh, I'm still friends with today. Um, So it was an interesting school because the other schools that I had been to, you know, you're the new kid, people are leery of you and you're sort of isolated or whatever. This place, man, I landed with a bang and everybody was inviting me to parties and wanted to know me and and hang out. And these guys, I remember Mark and Eric and Richard and some other guys invited me to a cheap trick concert with them, which is another whole story. This was during the hostage um, crisis where the Iranians had taken Americans hostage in the, in the, in the uh, embassy. And it was this big deal and they had been holding them for hundreds of days. And Jimmy Carter was trying to get them out and the helicopters crashed in the desert. And there was just a big, big deal. And they, we went to this concert of these guys. I hardly know these guys. I'm just like going along because they invited me. And we go to this concert. It was in like a big basketball arena, I think, in Syracuse, and uh, probably you know seven, ten thousand people or something. And we're we're up on the balcony, and before the concert starts, the lights are still up and everything. These guys un- unroll a sheet that they had brought with them. I didn't even know what the hell was happening. That said fuck Iran. <laughs> and like everybody in this arena turned and was screaming and clapping and laughing. and It's the first time, and probably the only time I've ever like felt 7,000 or 10,000 people looking at me, you know, cause I was standing there next to these guys. It was quite a rush anyway. Uh, really cool, cool kids and, and very friendly to me and accepting and, and, uh, Yeah. Okay. Now here's, here's one of the main points of the story. Alicia, who was the hottest, sweetest woman in this school, uh, (laughs) hung out with these dudes, but had never uh, had a boyfriend. She was more like, uh, you know, the, the girl who hung out with the cool kids, but she, she wasn't uh, anybody's girlfriend. And, I think my um you know parachuting into the scene charmed her in some way and so she decided I was the one. Now Alicia compared to the woman I had been heartbroken by in Connecticut is like comparing Salma Hayek to um I don't want to be cruel let's just say Alicia was far, far, far better for me. <laughs> yeah. I, she's half Cuban, lovely, beautiful, beautiful girl, and just everything a sixteen or seventeen year old boy could possibly dream of. Let's let's try to be discreet here. Um So what was the lesson I learned there? Uh, The lesson I learned there was to never fight for love. I know that sounds wrong. I know it sounds unromantic and it goes against so much of what we're taught. But I got to say that in my experience, love is something that lives and dies of its own accords. And fighting for it is like fighting for rain or fighting for sun to come up earlier or winter to come sooner. It's not going to work. You're just spinning your wheels. You're wasting your time and you're distracting yourself from what's really important. And, uh, and, and in fact, the only chance you have, I mean, let's say the first woman back in Connecticut was fantastic. Okay. Not the case, at least not fantastic for me. But let's say she was. Let's say she really was the perfect woman for me. Not that such a thing exists, but okay. Let's pretend. The only chance you've got of getting her to change her mind is to do what my father was trying to say to me, which is demonstrate self-respect before everything else. In other words, she wants to leave Okay, you say, good luck. I'll never I'll never stop loving you. I'll never stop caring about you, and I'll always be here to help you if you need it. But, okay, you know, you don't love me. You don't want to be with me. I respect that. Sayonara. That's all you can do. That's your best chance of having her turn around, having the new guy put his foot in it and having her look back and say, damn, He never would have done that. He never would have said something that stupid. He wouldn't chase me around desperately trying to convince me of this or that because he doesn't need to because he's got the strength. The theme that comes up again and again in these experiences is that danger is attracted to fear. Failure is attracted to insecurity. And we've got it backwards. We think that we feel fear because the world is a dangerous place. Well, listen, the world is a dangerous place and it's not a dangerous place. It just depends on the path you take through it. Life is full of failures, full of successes, full of pain, full of pleasure. It's full of everything. It just depends what you're focusing on. It depends how you're framing these experiences. So what I learned in that very important transition from Fairfield, Connecticut to Casanova, New York, was if a woman doesn't want to be with me, I'm going to move on. I'm not going to chase her. I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to even feel any worse than I really absolutely have to because the fact is that every door that closes, another one opens. And that's true. It's certainly true in romantic stuff. Anyway, so I hooked up with Alicia. Life was great. Everything was wonderful. Had these really good friends and, um, and they put me in in school suspension. So I'm, so it was great. Cause I could just sit in there and read my Russian literature. I think I finally sort of gave up the Russian literature when things started getting really good with Alicia. I think I might've moved on to something a little less wintry. Um, but, uh, One day I was in there and next door was the special ed teacher and he was raising hell and yelling and screaming. And I think he was pretty abusive of the of the special ed kids. And meanwhile, in the in-school suspension, it's me and like 20 kind of like motorhead dudes who, you know, got in trouble for smoking in the hallway or some stupid shit like that. And they didn't even have a teacher in there. There There's just like some somebody's wife who was up there knitting and her job was just to make sure we didn't talk. You know, that's I think 80 percent of what American public education is, is just somebody saying, stop talking. And uh, so I'm sitting in this in school suspension room and the guy next door is just like slamming stuff on the walls. I don't know if they were kids or his fists or what, but it was pretty outrageous. (laughs) And I said to the the monitor, um, could you uh, ask him to keep it down? Because I'm finding it difficult to concentrate on my reading. <laughs> now, of course, that cracked up all the motorheads. She took that as some sort of an insurrection, you know, went down or pushed her magic button or whatever. And next thing I know, the fucking discipline principle is there again. And so he pulls me out of there and... Um, I think I had done something else as well. I don't remember what it was, but um, they basically determined with uh, about 10 days left in the school year, they determined that they couldn't kick me out. They couldn't send me to classes because I was causing rebellion among the students in the classes. Um, I'm leaving out the fact that I, I sort of instigated some days when we all skipped and went to some waterfalls and raised hell and, (laughs) <laughs> we snuck onto the school grounds and painted bongs on a barn one day, one night. But anyway, I was, I was sort of like, I had become, you know, I think from their perspective, I was like the sheep who knew how to get his nose under the fence and was leading the other sheep out of the, out of the pen. And, um, but they didn't want to try to kick me out a week before graduation. Cause they knew that would raise all sorts of problems with my parents and, Um, I think at some point my father had come in and told them, like, you know, just let me read and stop fucking around with me. So they knew they weren't going to get any support there. So they were trying to figure out what the hell to do with me because I couldn't go to class. I couldn't even sit in in in-school suspension. They couldn't kick me out. They didn't know what to do with me. So they found the one place in the school where they could keep me isolated for the last 10 days of, of the year that was the principal's office the principal who had quit before i arrived there so they put me in this guy's office it's the nicest office on the campus i've got this big oak desk i've got a private bathroom <laughs> they've got they've got like a bunch of uh, i guess the yearbooks were all piled up in one corner of the office but other than that it was mine i had this big leather reclining chair and one of my professors, the teacher, was, his name was Dr. Ball. Um, he was a literature professor. And he was the nephew of a, a famous secretary of state. Um, very interesting guy. He used to bring me my lunch every day because they wouldn't let me go and eat uh, in the cafeteria. So he would bring me my lunch with his lunch. And the two of us sat there and had lunch together. And uh, that's how I spent the last 10 days of high school, sitting behind the principal's desk running the place.
0: He said, Baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. And what's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say Doesn't ask for much. A little music and a soft touch. Why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a birdcage, singing in your chair.